survival, particularly twin lambs. Grazing crops for both feed and shelter, mineral supplements for use through pregnancy, and we're going to catch up with an ex-AFL footballer who has a wool betting business that is cracking the enormous and lucrative Chinese market. Welcome to The Yarn. It's a podcast for the Australian wool industry. I'm Murray's coming. So at AWI, we get accused of neglecting our non-merino or broader wool growers every now and then. So uh, let's catch up with Barry Young from Jasper Harrington on farm a little later on. Given it's football finals time, I thought we'd drop in a football wool story. And as it turns out, this one has quite an amazing coincidence in it. So stay tuned for that. But I recently caught up with three researchers from Murdoch University in WA at the Sheep's Back Sheep Easy Field Day. Serena Hancock, Andrew Thompson and Amy Lockwood who are working hard on key areas of reproductive gains in ewes. Amy Lockwood has been hard at it looking at increasing twin lamb survival through reducing mob size of twin lambing ewes. But before mob size has an effect you have to make sure the other fundamentals are in place. Um, first of all, we want to be preg scanning our use for multiples. We want to be managing those singles and twins separately, optimising their condition score, optimising feed allocation and, and the paddock allocation when we come to lambing. Mob size is an additional strategy which we can implement above those existing guidelines to enable us to achieve that extra 5 to 10% that we currently can't achieve through our existing guidelines. So it's not about using mob size alone, it's about using that with our existing guidelines to achieve that extra 5 or 10 percent. From from what I heard a couple of years ago, it was getting, it was harder to tease out the most important factors in the uh, condition score, feed, shelter, mob size um, matrix. Yeah, I guess from this national project we've seen that there was no effect of condition score, no effect of foo and no effect of our paddock characteristics on that relationship between mob size and lamb survival. So that just shows us that, that regardless of our environmental conditions, regard, regardless of management, reducing our mob size will achieve improvements in marking rates. Right, I've got it now. Thank you. Um, Serena, the opportunities for grazing crops, particularly here in, in WA, is enormous, but there are some pitfalls for, uh, for, for late in pregnancy use. Yeah, look, it was really refreshing actually driving out here today um, to see that the people are running um, ewes on cereal crops. But obviously with that complex mineral composition of the of the cereal crops, it poses quite a significant um, disadvantage for those pregnant ewes in late gestation. So supplementation is really where we want to be heading. But we've got a lot of unanswered questions in terms of flock um, the, the effects on the ewe and the effect on lamb survival going forward. So we've just really quantified that mineral composition or mineral status of the ewe. Um, we know that we can improve it by supplementating, supplementation, um, specifically improving the calcium, but I think there's so much more we can we can learn from the, this project. So what's, what's the next research work that you'd like to do to uncover a bit of the mystery around that, um, that mineral um, calcium, magnesium, sodium mix? I think going forward we really need to quantify the impact on ewe and lamb survival, so what's happening after they've grazed in late gestation, if they lamb onto pastures, um, what's the impact on the ewe, what's the impact on the lamb, are we going to see high, um, high dystochia problems because the calcium is important in muscle contraction, so therefore labour, or 
is everything fine and dandy? And then also I think we need to actually have a look at actually lambing onto crops. So I know a lot of producers are lambing onto crops. Is that improving lamb survival just by the shelter or uh, are we having other issues that we need to be thinking about? So yeah, there's a fair, fair bit to be covered. Yeah, we we'll look forward to hearing a bit more about that. And um, Andrew Thompson, um, TAGS, it's, uh, it's, we, we both agreed today that 12 or even two years ago, when we're talking about these solar panel smart TAGS, that you would get blank looks from farmers and rolled eyes. But something's happened in the last 12 months and farmers are genuinely enthused about the practical applications of these TAGS. Yeah, through so through the Grazing Bites project that, that AWI's funded. So yeah, with with together with Mark Ferguson, yeah, we've run yeah four or five, five six workshops around the country, and certainly the level of excitement's been yeah pretty phenomenal as to in terms of what it might mean. So um, yeah, if we can measure location, but but you know as importantly if we can measure different behaviours, um, yeah, just how that might um, yeah transform how we manage, and I guess the new project with AWI is very much about trying to predict feed intake. Um, you know, and can you know can we almost get early warnings of, of when when intakes declining or even when live weights are declining through through measuring um, basically sensor outputs? Is that something we've never been able to do before to predict to that accuracy when problems might occur, particularly with uh, Serena's work as well? If we can tap into um, blood levels of different, um, oh, it just opens things. up so so many opportunities. You know, if we can. Um, we think we might be able to predict intakes within a couple of hundred grams. I mean, that's what we're hoping for. But 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 even if we can detect, you know, um, yeah, metabolic disorders or whatever, but you you pick them up, um, you know, with enough time to take action. That's the key. Um, so um, yeah, that's 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 what that project is. That about. Re- but is it? Can you see that being really happening, or is it? Is it a? Is it? A, is that a pie in the sky thought that we might be able to predict things? Oh, we're seeing it already. I mean, I think you know, with the with the smart tag, I mean, we've got examples where where you know animals have died, and then if you track back and, and look at their behaviours over the preceding days, you know, it, it's it's you know the outcome was pretty predict- yeah. predictable. They stopped moving and stopped eating. Um, you know, talking about That's why we're doing an interview, Phil. <laughs> so if, if you know the the census told us that, that we you know they they. That was Phil Gardner, by the way. Uh, <laughs> we better just leave that in. Thanks, Phil. Nice to see you. So the sensors, you know, the sensors did indicate that those animals had stopped eating, you know, a couple of days prior, and um, so yeah, intervention, you know, probably was possible. Okay, so but, but I think the other thing is, you know, with ewes and you know sheep, you know, it's been worth so much money. Those things now um, become relevant. You know, when when it was thirty or fifty dollars a ewe, yes, I, I think it was pie in the sky. But if it's a couple of hundred dollars a ewe, I guess we're going to be much more enthusiastic about trying to keep, you know, as, as many as we can alive. And uh, as you said today, we're not having to tag every you in the mob. It may only be five or ten percent that um, you might have to tag. Yes, I mean, so it d- depends on the application. I mean, the big the big payback for sensors, sensor technology is is going to be you know applications that can increase past utilisation stocking rate. And certainly, our work to date is suggesting for that, you know, maybe something like twenty or thirty sheep in a mob is sufficient. So it actually doesn't matter if that tag is. $10 or $30, it actually becomes quite irrelevant. Um, but if you're de- I mean, developing a tag, obviously we want to make that tag have as many applications as possible to increase the appeal. And so if we're, it's about you know, managing fly strike or early detection of fly strike or lambing difficulties or whatever, obviously we need all animals to be you know, have tags on. Now, you're a very experienced researcher. You've had an enormous impact on the Australian sheep industry with um, the, the lifetime uh, wool work that led to lifetime ewe that has become... Um, enormously successful, probably the most success, successful extension program in the history of the sheep industry. Um, 
how compared to that where do the tags fit can they have as big an impact in 10 or 20 years as the, res your, the research you were doing 20 years ago a oh, brave call, isn't it, <laughs> Marius? No, it was a question, not a statement. <laughs> could it be? Uh, uh, could it be? No question. Yep, yep. I think I think it can be. Um, I think of, you have a couple of big big projects in your career. Clearly, lifetime more lifetime year management was one, and you know, census is is potentially as important. There's no. Yep. Well. Serena, um, you, you're here to see that predicted. Yeah. You, you, <laughs> are you going to witness it? You're backing it up? We'll back it up. We'll back it up. <laughs> well I done. also think, yeah. um, I think GPEP's another one. I think we're very fortunate at the moment to have some, some really you know, high impact projects funded by AWI. What's GPEP? So GPEP is, is the, I guess, one of the add-on projects to MLP, Merino Lifetime Productivity. So it is trying to better understand, I guess, the role of, of feed intake or appetite and whole body energy reserves and what that might mean for how we select sheep to make more money per hectare. Right. Um, thank you very much for your time on the yarn, uh, having a yarn with us. I know, are you all heading back in the same car to Perth? Uh, well, two cars. Two. <laughs> so I'd, I'd like to know, um, well, first of all, thanks for joining us and your research, but what, is it, what are your rules for uh, playlists in the car? R&B. R&B. <laughs> I just know I've got to leave much earlier than they because they drive very fast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, rhythm and blues your way back to uh, Perth. But guys, thanks a lot for joining the yarn. Thank thanks. you. Good thanks, right, good. Okay, so that was Andrew Thompson, Serena Hancock and Amy Lockwood from Murdoch University in Western Australia having a bit of fun at the Sheep's Back Sheep Easy Field Day. But uh, if you'd like more information on this very important area of sheep production, head to wool.com. Look under Sheep Health and Welfare and there's uh, information there. So non-merino wool is an important part of what we do at AWI and its marketing arm, Woolmark. And Jasper Harrington is a domestic example of a Woolmark licensee a domestic manufacturer of dunas and pillows that use a lot of downs wool, around 28 to 30 micron. It's owned by ex-AFL footballer Barry Young, who played with Richmond and Hawthorne, but mostly at Essendon in the 1990s. He hails from St Arnold in central western Victoria. He was a very, very tough player, so it's kind of ironic that he now sells these beautifully soft pillows and dunas. Anyway, we organised an on-farm video shoot where shearing was taking place to create a marketing video for his company, Jasper Harrington. Barry explains just what his company does. Uh, so we manufacture uh, pillows, quilts, under blankets and mattress protectors. Uh, we've been doing that now for 28 years. Um, so it's, uh, it's been rewarding but also challenging over the time. You produce them in Australia, which is quite rare itself. Uh, tell us a little bit about... Um your manufacturing process? Yeah, so we're uh, 80% of our products manufactured in Australia and then we are 20% imported, which is more like your feather and down and latex, but we manufacture our pillows, which is, is a uh, range of polyester and wool combined pillows, but we also manufacture a range of uh, wool quilts, uh, wool alpaca quilts, uh, wool underlays. So, um, so it's all the stuff that's uh, on top of bed. And how important is it that it's a natural fibre? I mean, I know it sounds like you use some non-natural fibres, but why is wool and alpaca important for your business? Uh, the probably best thing about wool is, like you said, it's a natural fibre, and um, people 
are more looking towards natural fibres, I think, than ever before. Naturally, the uh, some of the man-made stuff, the polyester synthetics, are, it's a much cheaper fibre, but it doesn't have the uh, the great benefits that wool has. So that's why we sort of uh, have made a focus towards wool and, and we do less in the uh, cheaper fibres these days. And it's pretty rare that anyone manufactures in Australia. Um, how do what, what part of the process do you uh, undertake? Uh, so it's, well, 28 years ago I, I bought this little pillow factory and it's sort of grown from there, but... Uh, the, the process is really, well, once we get the wool, it uh, goes through a cutting process and the cutting process really opens up the fibre. So it, uh, it comes out of the cutting process in like a, uh, like a sheet and then what we do is layer that sheet to the weight that we, the, the computer specifies. So we use a, a heavier weight through winter, which gives a greater warmth ratio. So the more layers is the more warmth and of course through summer the less layers it just gives you that, takes the chill out of the, out of the night. So, so we have a, a range of products that roll from a 150 GSM all the way through to a 550 GSM. That's um, grams per square metre. Correct. So it has been a, a domestic product and it um, sold into the Australian market, but you're, you've been pushing the export uh, more recently as well, haven't you? Yeah, so the, about five or six years ago, we um, put our toe in the water over in America and that's going along nicely, but uh, we've made a real focus in the last two years into China. They seem to understand wool much better than the Americans. Uh, they they find it a uh, a luxurious product, so we're now um, exporting into China. It's been a real focus for us. So we're hoping to grow the business uh, substantially in the next uh, three to five years with exporting our uh, wool quilts over to China. And that's why we're on this farm today uh, in near Romsey in Victoria. Uh, they produce a uh, it looks like a, around a 28 to 30 micron. Um, uh, fibre, it's predominantly a prime land property obviously. What are we doing here today? Yeah, so we're just filming uh, to uh, just go through the process from the sheep off the farm into the shearing shed where they take the wool off the sheep. Uh, that process of course then goes to um, where the, the wool gets cleaned and uh, then it comes to us ready for um, production into our cutting process. But we, we use the, about a 28 to 30 micron wool, a downs wool. It's quite a durable wool so it's very good for um, for uh, sleep products, so it's just we put a video together and uh, we'll we'll hopefully run this on our on our website in our flagship store in China, which will hopefully will open up in a couple of months. Now it's a little bit more than that, though, isn't it? Because you're going to be doing a live sale, hopefully at some stage as well. How does that work? Uh, we're hoping to. They have um, they have over here in Australia where they have Chinese people. They're called Diagos, and they they basically do a live feed back to China through um, through the technology these days and it just shows the process of the sheep coming off the farm into the shed and then from there you know go to the factory and show how the products made and it, that's the thing that the Chinese love they love to see the whole process the where the, the sheep have come off a you know beautiful open paddock where the wolves come off the sheep's back and then into the carting process and that's uh, where they have a lot of success so so you spend a lot of time at trade shows overseas, speaking to customers, uh, retailers, perhaps wholesalers, I'm not sure. What, what is it about the Chinese market that excites you? Oh, naturally the uh, pure volume. Uh, it's amazing how many people over there, but there's a, a real middle class now that have got, um, they've got themselves, uh, they've got a different attitude to life, whereas we were sort of grown up, we were taught to save your money or buy a house or invest your money but the, the middle class over in China now is they earn their money and they spend it so and they want to they want to have the best sleep products they want to wear the best clothes they want to drive the best cars they want to go to the best restaurants so 
they've got all this income and they're willing to spend it. So we want to we want to tap into that. Now you are a Woolmark uh, licensee, and you you have the Woolmark um, very very prominent on your products. What does it mean in that Chinese market to be able to put Woolmark on your product? The important thing with the Woolmark over in China is it basically states there's 100% pure wool in the product. There's a lot of backyard companies now that are, are mixing polyester fibre with wool and so they're not stating that it's what it actually is. So whereas with the wool mark on our product, both on the product and the packaging, it's basically stating that we we back it up by using 100% pure wool. So um, And with uh, wool marks strict testing, uh, that uh, also uh, helps you know, if somebody, some, some of our competitors are trying to uh, do the dodgy through the back door. So hopefully uh, being able to show that it is pure new wool, you can take the consumer to the farm, to the factory, show that you're taking it um, the, the whole way through and that it's specified wool mark, 100% Australian wool. Do you, are you positioning yourself in the premium part of the market in China or whereabouts are you sitting? Yeah, we'll have we'll have our uh, a premium range, which is the best we can possibly make, and then we'll also have a range that will be your middle of the road. So and the difference is it's just the the fabric on the outside. So we use a, a high quality fabric for the um, your normal range, and then we use a really premium fabric for our uh, top of the range. Now, for those listening, where do they find your products? Uh, all of our products are sold at uh, David Jones, Harvey Norman, Adairs, Pillow Talk. Spotlights, Big W, so there's uh, plenty of options that you can find our uh, products in those uh, retailers across Australia. Now for um, AFL fans, uh, you may or may not remember Barry Young as an Essendon supporter. I'd expect anyone, everyone to remember Barry Young as being uh, one of the stronger players in the Essendon lineup in the mid-90s. Um, how did you go from an AFL footballer to owning a betting company, Barry? This is quite a quite amazing career development. I played football in the days when it wasn't full-time. So I had a part-time, well, not a part-time job. My day job was as a sales rep, and I was a sales rep for a little company called Aussie Pillows. Uh, I worked there for three months. They closed the factory over about a one-week period over the Christmas break. I came back after that break, and they decided that they were going to close the door. So long story short, I actually I bought the uh, bought the company about a month later at the age of 20, and... Um, so I've now been manufacturing uh, sleep products in Australia for 28 years. <laughs> An amazing thing for a 20-year-old to do. Um, quite a bold move to, as a 20-year-old from Sananat a few years earlier, um, playing football and then to suddenly buy a company. I mean, it was a pretty amazing thing to do. I was never a great listener. And one of the, uh, one of the great things was about buying my own company was that... Uh, I was I had to report to myself, so uh, I didn't have to report to anybody. So that was at the time as a young kid, that was that was one of the enticing factors of, of buying a business. So yeah. I didn't report to myself. And uh, Kevin Sheedy was your coach. You still stay very much in touch with Kevin. Yeah, I um, catch up the sheets a bit. So he's still fairly active in the club. He's he's like the face of the footy club and always promoting and marketing it. So you often run into him at a lot of functions. And so he's he's a man about town still. So. Now, one of the most amazing things today, we've taken you out to this farm to do some filming. Um, it's on the top of a, a Windy Hill. Uh, Essendon used to play at Windy Hill, used to train at Windy Hill, and we're just looking at, uh, well, what was a shed that wasn't built, and uh, Pat the farmer came up to say, guess where I got that from? 
It was very, very coincidental. As we were standing there at the top of the hill, the old steel, and he actually, Pat said, he said, uh, he said, you mentioned you played at Essendon. He said, he said that is actually the steel and the beams out of the old Windy Hill grandstand. So it was, uh, it was quite ironic. It's meant to be. All right. Well, um, Barry, thanks a lot for joining us on the yarn today. Pleasure. Jasper Harrington and we look forward to continuing to work with him. Hope you enjoyed the yarn for this episode. We love bringing you these stories from our great industry. Um, if you have any other ideas for uh, things to follow up or suggestions or feedback, uh, send them to the yarn at wool.com. But for now, thanks for your company and we look forward to speaking again soon.